Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. I'm your host, Antoine Walter, and in today's episode, I am extremely glad to welcome Matthew Silver as my guest. Matt is the CEO and founder of Cambrian Innovation, a revolutionary provider of distributed wastewater treatment and resource recovery solutions. To say that Cambrian Innovation's take at the matter is quite unique is an understatement. That's why we divided this interview in two parts. We will explore the technical side in depth today and keep the business-related topics for episode 5 in two weeks. In this release, Matt will tell us how starting as an applied R&D company working in the aerospace field on a NASA grant, Cambrian Innovation evolved as an industrial wastewater treatment specialist and how solving a high-potential riddle around NRA biological treatments brought the company to its breakthrough EcoVolt product line. Matt will tell us how bioelectrically enhanced treatment solutions solve high-strength wastewater challenges and he'll share some insights into the 13-year track record of Cambrian innovation. If you've ever wondered how bacteria-breathing oxygen could drastically simplify wastewater reuse, then you'll be captivated by Matt's interview, which is up just after this. You're listening to Don't Waste Water, the podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. For more information, visit gfps.com. Hi, Matt. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Let me start with something which I found out when I was preparing for that interview. And, you know, as a European, I have to find out if it's a joke, a hidden joke or something I just don't get. But your company is based in Watertown, Massachusetts. That's right. We moved to Watertown about four years ago. We were in Boston, and before that, we were founded in Cambridge. But yeah, Watertown is a town right next to Cambridge, and there have been a couple water companies there, actually. We're not too far from where a company called Ionics was started and, and run until they were sold to GE. They were a well-known water business for a while. So we had to move there once uh, you know once we got a little bigger. But did you do it on purpose? It's just uh, the name is by accident so directly related to your business. It's a total accident. We got a good deal on a seven-year lease. Okay, sounds like a good reason. You, you addressed <laughs> the, the Cambridge aspect, but actually, I was also wondering why Cambrian, why that linked to this biological... Partly, yeah. um, so it was a name that my co-founder and I came up with. It sounds a little like Cambridge, and also the Cambrian era in geology is one in which there was um, an explosion of biological innovation and we are at heart of a uh, you know biotech company and we thought it was kind of a cool analogy that you know there's going to be an explosion of innovation in, in biotech as applied to the management of resources you know and other things and so we thought the name Cambrian was cool it kind of sounded like Cambridge and we went with it. It is it is a cool name so I'm glad because it looks like I understood it so that's a good start because, you know, I, I'm a bit, you know, impressed. I had a look uh, as well at your resume, your path, and you're an MIT graduate and your company has received grants from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, of the Environmental Protection Agency, the National Science Foundation, the Army, and so many others. But the most impressive in that list, of course, is 
you got endorsed by NASA. So how does that happen? Well, appreciate it. Yeah, we're very fortunate to have received a decent amount of funding for applied R&D and development from the U.S. government and other governments. And it started, you know, for the first four years of Cambrian's existence, we were basically an applied R&D company. So we were doing a lot of work in biotech as applied to resources and water and energy. And we actually started with a grant from NASA. So I was working at the time as a research scientist at the Space Systems Lab at MIT. Mm -hmm. And we uh, applied for a grant to look at using electrically active organisms for resource processing in what's called regenerative life support. And that's a domain of you know space systems where you're looking at supporting astronauts through recycling of air and water and, and, and other things. And most of it's done through chemical methods. And, um, you know, but there's, a, there's been a history of research in, in using biological systems for that. And so we were interested in applying this, um, this new kind of technology to it. And that's really what got us our start. It was a grant from NASA and, and we continue to do work for them that we're really interested in and excited about. So you mentioned the first four years. So how long are you in business with Cambrian Innovations? It's been about 13 years now. So it was about four years of applied R&D. And then, um, you know, we continued to do the applied R&D work, but the bulk of the company was then focused on commercializing, in the early days, our core equipment, which was the EcoVolt reactor. And then, you know, from then it was about, uh, you know, broadening the product portfolio and really becoming a business that helps customers treat and reuse water efficiently under a service model. So it's been an evolution as we've grown, and but it's been it's been a good run so far. So the core of the company lies with the the Ecovolt reactor, and that was the part which was already there when you were working with the space agency. Can you explain, really, for the stupids, really for me, how does that work? What is the core of your technology? Well, it's uh, basically an what's called an anaerobic wastewater treatment process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're looking at the subset of the water business, which is biological water treatment, it, it's basically broken down into aerobic and anaerobic. And within anaerobic, those systems produce a byproduct, which is biogas, as they're treating wastewater, treating organics in the wastewater. And they have a number of advantages versus aerobic systems. They're, you know, they produce energy in the form of biogas that can be used for heat or electricity. They produce far fewer solids or sort of um, biomass buildup as a byproduct of treatment. And they require less energy than aerobic systems, among other advantages. And those really end up driving down operating costs versus, you know, other biological systems. The challenge has been to date that you know, most anaerobic processes are fairly difficult to manage, particularly when it comes to the more what's called distributed side of the market. So that on the, um, the systems, which are a little bit smaller, and that's because they don't deal with upsets very well, and they don't deal with overloads very well, they're prone to crashing. And so while they have significant cost advantages, they're also prone to upsets. And so what EcoVolt does is basically we've got a process which is augmenting an anaerobic process with electrically active organisms. And those are, are particularly amenable to solving some of the upset problems. So to removing some of the byproducts that typically cause upsets. So that's it 
in a nutshell, it's uh, uh, we're, we're introducing electrodes and, and growing electrically active organisms on those electrodes. And that's supplementing an anaerobic treatment process in order to bring stability. It has a couple of other advantages as, as part of that. It's uh, because we're putting an electric current through these electrodes, we're actually to get able to get some information out about the reactor. And based on the way the reactions work, we're actually able to get an improvement in the biogas quality, which translates basically to higher BTU content in the gas. So there's a couple of advantages, but really when it comes to the commercial side of it, it's about stabilizing high rate anaerobic treatment process. I'd like to dig a bit into that in a minute, but I have a last question just before to understand where you're coming from. You mentioned that you were working on that matter in terms of R&D and with this space as a background, but was it from day one that you thought at some point you're going to move into a commercialization of the technology to treat wastewater for the general public and for the industry and for the decentralized treatments? Or did it come from a pivot at some point where you said, okay, uh, we have that technology, uh, it's working outside there in the outer atmosphere, probably it's going to work as well on Earth. How did that happen? We have pivoted with the company a number of times in different ways as we've learned about the market and the best sort of solutions for the market. That being said, when we started the company, my co-founder and I were always interested in having an, a large-scale impact on industry. And you know, we always figured that what we would find while doing kind of advanced applied R&D might be applicable to developing industrial products. So we were an applied R&D company, but we were always interested in commercializing the solutions early on. And, and you know, at this point, we're a, we're a commercial organization. So it was always part of the plan, exactly how it was going to come together. With, you know, we, we developed as we moved. What I propose you in the next minute is that we focus on, on the technical side of things. I think we have so much matter that everything cannot fit in one episode. So that there's going to be a follow-up episode where we can dive a bit more into the entrepreneurial aspect of things and especially on, on the business side. But of course, if you want to tease everyone about your quite innovative approach and quite is an understatement, your absolutely innovative approach to the market, of course, you, you can tease the business side, but the deep dive is going to be for next time. So let's focus now on your product. You teased it a bit. You, you have this EcoVault series and the heart of it is the EcoVault reactor. So for the ones that didn't read your, your brochure, how, how does that look like? How does that integrate into a plant? Which kind of plant, which kind of industry, where does that fit in? Yeah. So I'll say to start that we at Cambrian have now a portfolio of products that can be applied to high strength industrial waste to value. So taking high strength pollution and creating you know, reuse quality water or potable quality water from it in a way that's highly sustainable and reduces operating costs. So that portfolio includes our EcoVolt reactor, which was the original product we developed. We've got a membrane bioreactor that's designed to handle variable loads and high strength waste very effectively. And uh, we've got a product that we call BioViper, which is a combined aerobic anaerobic process for medium strength waste that can be you know, supplemented with those, those two products. All of them are proprietary in different ways and we're, we're really excited about them across the board. And that's ultimately because we're looking to be a solution provider for our customers. So 
our customers are industrial manufacturers. Um, the bulk of what we've done to date is in the food and beverage industry. And beyond that, we work with sort of residential communities and, and resorts and those kinds of companies. And the value proposition is that, you know, almost everything we do and manufacture in manufacturing requires water in some way. And um, disposing of that wastewater costs a decent amount of money. And Cambrian develops solutions that will essentially cut the cost of disposal while introducing valuable resource back to the manufacturing facility. So that's the context. And within that, EcoVolt as a product, it will take basically, you know, wastewater that is anywhere from three to 50 grams per liter. So high strength in terms of its organic content, in terms of what's called soluble BOD or biological oxygen demand. And it's able to get rid of, you know, 70, 80% of that. And exiting the reactor, we can then put that through a either a, a membrane bioreactor or another post-treatment process to get to reuse quality. That's how it works. In terms of what it looks like, you know, we, we've designed all of our products to be as simple to install as possible and modular so that they can expand with the customer facility. So at the heart of it, we've got, you know, basically a tank, which is the bulk treatment. We've got what we call a booster skid, which is the part where we introduce the electrically active organisms. And then depending on the customer site, we also have something we call a C3 hub, which is basically a, a cargo container sized hub for control communications and command. And we can, within that, do uh, we have our electrical work, we've got controls, and we can also do some lab studies. So it's kind of like the hub for the treatment plant. So these are you know, basically modular distributed wastewater processing plants that are some of which are prefabricated and shipped over the road and some of which are some parts of which are fabricated on site. In a final installation, we'll have a, you know, what, what most other plants have, which is a, you know, pre-treatment tank and kind of post-treatment holding tank and all those kinds of things. But that's just pretty standard. So you mentioned that you're at home, if I may say so, with a high strength industrial wastewater and most of it is, is food and beverage. And I've seen you have also some, some references with some wineries. And I was just wondering, there are other industries with high strength, such as, I don't know, like uh, petrochemical, chemical, or pulp and paper. Why do you focus on the food and beverage? Is it because of the low volume, high strength? Is, is that the combination? Yeah, it was because in our early days, we wanted to be really focused on one market. And that was a market where the cost to dispose per gallon is, is very high because the wastewater is high in organics. It's also amenable to treatment and they have a high need for reuse. So we did a whole analysis in, you know, several years ago in the early days where we looked at different industries and we made hundreds of phone calls and analyzed sort of the cost of inputs, the cost of water, the cost of energy, all of that. And, and we honed in on California food and beverage as the, uh, <laughs> as the target rich environment for folks who need help. That's where we got started. But you're right. There are a huge number of additional industries that have this problem. And it's just a, it's a huge trend right now to move towards cutting water use and reusing water where possible. And folks want to do that, but they don't want to be bothered with, you know, managing a plant itself. And so that's, that's why what we've shifted to and focus on now is, is, selling treatment and reuse as a service where we're a solution provider and we can incorporate our equipment and then operate it for our customers. So moving beyond 
food and beverage, we work with, you know, resorts and they have a big need and, and there's a big opportunity there for us. We have some projects that we've not made public yet in other verticals that we will soon that we're, we're very excited about. And all of it can contribute to improving the sustainability and the efficiency of those uh, of those industries. You mentioned the, this all-in-one aspect. Where does that start? I've read in, in some of your papers that you're mentioning a Cambrian water audit. So does that mean that a customer comes to you and they, they, they tell you, I need to treat my water to this? Or do they come to you and say, I have a problem and you have to to start with looking for solutions and then choosing the right one. Where does your process start? Yeah, it always starts with a conversation with the customers around what their goals are and what their current costs are and what they're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. That is, that's always the start of it. Typically, there's a couple of scenarios that make people start to look for a treatment system, but either a company is growing quickly and water processing is becoming a big part of their underlying costs, or there's been a change in regulation in the in the city or the costs within a, a given city are, are causing the water treatment costs to go up significantly, or they've got an existing treatment system that's not functioning properly. There's something that that is causing them to look for a solution, and that's when a conversation with us starts. The interesting thing about the water space is that you know, most of our customers are not experts in water, nor do they really want to be. They want clean water and they want to uh, know that they're sustainable and they want to know that they're in compliance with whatever they're required to be in compliance with and to do the right thing by the environment. But they don't know much about the water space. And so sometimes they're not even aware of either A, all of the places where water is costing them money. And uh, conversely, they're not, they may not be aware of all the places where they use water where they might be able to put in place reuse that will cut their water footprint and further save them money. So with some customers, we start with an audit and that's basically looking at their, all of the, you know, inputs and all of the outputs associated with water and mm -hmm. uh, connecting the flows and trying to understand where their costs are and where the opportunities are for savings. Other customers, we won't necessarily start with an audit just because they might have a really simple need and they might know exactly what they, they're looking for. You know, they've got 300,000 gallons of water going out of a main pipe and they know that it's costing them X amount of money and they, they'd like to cut it. So then we just dive right into um, how do we design a solution around that? So your core product, your, your first product was the EcoVolt reactor itself. How did you find out that you needed to add something more to the portfolio and that it had to come from you in-house and not something you bought on the market? And how did you come up with an idea of developing an MBR? It was a couple of different things, but we have always taken an approach of going directly to our customers to see what they need. There's a number of reasons for that, but one of them was ultimately that as you're emerging as a company, it's important to understand how you can offer something that really caters exactly to the need of the customer. And it was in our early installations and talking to them that we, you know, and doing some research on the market as well, that we realized that, A, it wasn't enough to just sell them a piece of equipment because, as I mentioned earlier, they needed to have it integrated. There, there's always a need for pre-treatment, post-treatment, something like that that needs to be put together in terms of a total solution design. And so that's kind of was just an expertise thing. And we were happy to provide that. And, you know, B, we started to see a need for reuse as really important. And the membrane bioreactor market is pretty mature, but a lot of those reactors are designed for municipal treatment and not necessarily sort of industrial treatment reuse 
and we were kind of saw a gap there. So we we designed one that fit with our approach and our installations and our control systems and uh, was particularly amenable to industrial streams. I'll say one last thing about that, which is this is a pretty conservative industry, rightfully so, in that people just want things to work. And for that reason, at least in, in the US, you know, consulting engineers play a big role in selecting equipment because consulting engineers are rightfully conservative. They're sometimes a little bit more hesitant to select newer equipment. And that was part of, in order to solve that problem, uh, there's a bit, you know, a bit of a chicken and egg where we would talk to some of the consulting engineers and they would, they would indicate that they'd be comfortable specking out our system if we had five installations. And we would ask them, how would we get five installations if we weren't going to be specced by any of them? <laughs> and so solving that problem, part of the direct to, to, to customer model was solving that problem. It's one way to be innovative in the market. Um, these days, we have great partnerships with consulting engineering firms and work closely with them and we're um, we value those very much, and and uh, um, but you know it's important for us to be a solution provider as well in the market. Do I get you right if if I understand that the MBR can somehow be a Trojan horse because MBR is a more common technology than than the Ecovolt reactor itself? So with that, any consultant in the market understands what you're doing, and then the Ecovolt comes. Um, I mean, the reactor itself comes on top of an MBR. So you have something pretty conventional and on top of that, something which is really from outer space. And that's <laughs> the case. I don't, I wouldn't frame it as a Trojan horse in the sense that it's just part of the solution. Okay. Um, we have some customers that all they need is an MBR. We have some customers that all they need is a BioViper. And we have some customers that, you know, where all they need is Ecovolt, but then you can also put them together in different and innovative ways. I think at this point, our Ecovolt reactor has been demonstrated to work effectively. You know, we definitely had some hiccups early on in terms of understanding how to size them correctly and some aspects of operations, and, and we've made it our way through that. And uh, I don't think that's really the operative question at this point. But yeah, I, I look at it less as a Trojan horse and more as a, we've put together a really top shelf membrane bioreactor that can deal with the rigors of the distributed and industrial market as well or better than anything out there. And so we're excited about that as a standalone product. You mentioned the, the difficulty to, um, to size. I think anyone that's been involved one day in a project where containerized solutions are, were involved or where um, you get a specification and then you come to site and, and finally the, the volume of water is twice higher or twice lower, that's just daily life as soon as you, you're in that industry. I mean, water is different everywhere and conditions are different everywhere. So I'm just wondering, um, when you're doing the water audit, you have all the, all the values. Everything is absolutely known because you're, you're there before and you size accordingly. But isn't it a bit difficult sometimes to just um, come to the site and even if they have a specific need and they tell you that, I say they, it's now a a generic customer, just imagine I'm the customer. I tell you, it's, it's, I have 200,000 cubic meters per year to treat, and then at the end of the day, it's 300,000. How do you deal with that? Is that the route why you have such a modular system where you can add or remove parts if needed? Or how do you address this variability? That is an important question in terms of making sure everything works correctly. Absolutely. The short answer, I mean, I'll give you two answers to it. The, the first is, yes, we designed the systems with modularity in order to be able to expand relatively easily. And that can deal with the uncertainty and the volumes or the concentrations or whatever else. 
you know, in terms of original estimates, but there's also customers that are growing quickly that don't know how quickly they're going to grow and how quickly they're going to need new capacity. And so that's just an important part of our design philosophy is we don't want to over design anything, but it, but we want to design it appropriately and make it work. So the modularity plays a key part of that. The other aspect is just having a process with the customer where, you know, you're building knowledge about their site as you're going along. Experience is really important within that. So if you're talking to a brewery or a bottling facility and they they give you data that shows that their BOD is at X or their TSS is at Y, you can cross-check that against what you've seen. And maybe if it looks off, you know to dig in a little bit more. So that's where experience plays a big role. But there's other ways to get to the core of like, what is the actual variability and and how do we design around that? And that's part of the know-how of most water companies. And it's an important part of the process. When we're doing water energy purchase agreements where we're taking everything on ourselves, that's just built into our design process. We'll go on site, we'll understand the variability and understand how to design something that both will fit the current need and fit the expansion need pretty seamlessly. And we'll do that at our cost because we're it's in our interest to do it as effectively as possible. But you know, there's other ways to get to that too, you know, water audits or or other other approaches. Does that mean that you make like the most accurate picture possible? And then you size according to that picture, or do you go in the direction of making a movie of it? Uh, I mean by that, do you have some online analyzers or things like that like, that let you see over a period of time how the factory is evolving? And also, while operation already started, do you still keep taking some data, maybe making some modeling of the plant in order to better understand what's coming towards your plant? Or all the way around, your plant is so flexible that at the end of the day, it doesn't really care. On that last point, I, you know, as a company, we're proud that our, our systems are able to deal with a pretty high degree of variation, both in terms of the processes themselves, the biology, but also the the design of the overall treatment train, depending on how you do that, it can take more or less variation. So that's definitely part of it. And you're putting your finger on what is, I think, like one of the critical challenges in, in the industrial market, which is dealing with variability and, you know, missed estimates and all of that and doing that effectively will, you know, is really important. But beyond that, you know, we can and will take what's called composite samples. So that's closer to your movie analogy. Um, Uh, on site and just understand the variability through time. And then once we're on site, we can even go beyond that. For some customers, we've had them share production schedules and we've used that to predict automatically what's going to be coming into the system so that it can adjust accordingly. And that's, you know, I guess the last part of what we value at Cambrian or, you know, as for our customers is, um, is using data to the greatest extent possible. And so we've invested in controls and we've got something called FlowLogic, which is in all of our plants, which basically will adapt system operation to incoming flows in order to, to keep things running smoothly and properly. So you can do it in real time like a movie, but but the, the most important thing is getting it right up front. And that's done through either industry knowledge or sampling or composite sampling or something like that. So if I step back to your, your, your product range, you have this, of course, the EcoVault reactor, the MBR, the C3 hub, is it something that you produce yourself as well? Or is it something that you assemble from market pieces? We manufacture it ourselves. It, it houses things like, you know, high voltage, low voltage panels and, um, and control systems and, and, and a, a small lab and all of that. But it, it, it is, 
really useful in on sites that are a little more remote or further away from a centralized facility or that need a lab or um, you know we can, we can even air condition it for operators so it's something we put together ourselves there's some aspects of it that are ours, some that we integrate components into and then if we go to the other end of the treatment frame let's say you have a, a nickel reactor then an mbr i saw that in some of your references you have a reverse osmosis treatment step in order to have a direct reuse in, uh, in industrial process water. In that case, does the reverse osmosis come from you or do you also source it somewhere on the market? Yeah, we work with partners that make the RO systems and uh, we will containerize them for our customers and, and for easy installation as needed. But we've got some great partners on the RO side. And um, yeah, that's ultimately what can get you to, you know, you can get to what you know, we call Title 22 quality reuse, which is a standard out of California with just a membrane bioreactor, but if you want to go to drinking water quality or even further to, you know, strict potable standards, that's um, that's going to be uh, require a reverse osmosis system. Well, you can reach high levels with an MBR, but not with every MBR. Is that the reason why, you know, I'm still wondering why you came up with an MBR, because you mentioned it, it's a pretty mature market. It's, uh, the, there are many solutions around MBR. It's a cool technology, don't get me wrong. And uh, I'm fully with you when you say that in the industrial world, it's a bit less developed than it is in the, in the municipal world. But still, I'm wondering if you found a special kick or a special sauce or a secret sauce about your, your MBR that makes it different. And that's, that would be the reason why it has to come from you when the RO can be sourced in, in partnership. Um. The short answer is that we were responding to customer needs and the MBRs we saw in the market didn't fit that the way we thought they should. And, and I think that's been borne out with, um, with the MBRs that we've sold to date since, since we developed it. Integrating it effectively with the EcoVolt system was really important. So understanding expected outflows of the EcoVolt and inflows to the MBR okay. uh, were really important. Um, having a common control system were really important and being able to introduce flow logic into it in a way that we thought appropriate. Um, although you could use a, someone else's MBR and then do that, it's just a little more cumbersome. And so it was, a, it was a combination of reasons, all driven by really the company mission, which is to help customers treat and reuse their water as effectively as possible. And so Ultimately, we're looking at providing customers with a low cost per gallon. And um, we found that we could do that best by developing our own membrane bioreactor and been really happy about it. I mean, it is a mature industry, but there's a lot of things that you can do differently in each design. And so making the right design choices is, is important. I was watching your TEDx conference and had three numbers that, that just um, impressed me. The first is that you've been treating over 1 billion gallon of wastewater since inception of Cambrian Innovation. And the second is that you produced over one gigawatt hours of energy. Just wondering about these two numbers, on how many installed plants do they spread? We have basically 22 installed plants. Most of those are in North America. Some of them are international. They range in volumes on the low end from 15,000 gallons per day on the high end, 400,000 gallons per day. We can do up to a million gallons a day of treatment. So that's how we, you know, in a pretty straightforward way. And so those numbers are, are a combination of, of uh, volumes treated across the installed base. And, it, and I'm very excited. It's growing, um, it's growing exponentially. I think we're pretty well above that billion gallons at this point. Um, on the, just one correction on the energy, 
the better way to say it, it, it's a gigawatt hour of energy uh, generated or saved, but you could just call it avoided dirty energy. Um, okay. And so that, that's over. It's about 1.5 gigawatt hours at this point. And it is in part due to the significant energy savings associated with treating and reusing water on site versus drawing it from a central utility and sending it back to a central utility. The central utility energy cost of clean water is high and the energy cost of, of treating polluted water is high. So if you use our processes, which are um, very low energy or even produce energy and also reuse water on site, you're, you've got a, a really significant um, energy savings. And in fact, if you look at the um, uh, setting aside the, the energy, you know, we're generating, uh, if you look at the carbon impact of our installations. That's what's um, going to be my third number. Okay, there you go. Yeah, well, that's um, that's that's that come. If you combine, you know, if you we're treating and reusing water um, and, and generating some power off of the water as, a, as we're doing that, we're avoiding the clean water that had been originally would have been sent to the factory. We're avoiding the post-treatment and we're uh, we're generating some power. We're, we're, we're near, you know, net energy neutral or maybe a little bit below with the plant that's a, a really significant net impact on energy and, and therefore on carbon. And so the, the number is, you know, it, it'll vary by site and by treatment process and by utility a little bit, uh, obviously, but it can be, you know, at about um, three times the carbon count as solar panels. So that means for every dollar put into one of our plants, you can end up with three X the carbon removal um, that you would have had through a similar dollar put into a solar plant. I know it's a bit comparing um, potatoes with with pears or with apples, but I think you mentioned that number as well. There, there's about eighty percent of the world's wastewater which is untreated today, and among those twenty percent which is treated, there's a very, very, very small amount today which is treated with your technology. I hope that in the future it's going to be much more, but it's just a huge potential in terms of grid neutral or grid positive uh, solutions and carbon positive solutions, there's a matter to make a big impact with the, the kind of treatments that you, you're producing. Yeah, that I appreciate you saying that. And I agree with you. It's why I wanted to start the company and I'm very excited about it. it the, uh, you know, this, this area of taking pollution and turning it into something useful is really can have a massive impact on not not just the environment, but also cost of, of underlying, uh, you know, of underlying manufacturing. And so it can be a win-win for the environment and for companies. If you look at just the verticals we're currently operating in right now, you know, we've done an analysis that in North America, there's, there's over 50,000 plants that could use our technology. Um, if every one of them did, we would be, you know, you'd be somewhere around um, 50 gigatons of carbon removed by 2050, which is one of the UN development goals. And obviously we can't get to every one of those plants in the next couple of years, but, and not every one of them are looking for a system right now, but that's just North America. And that's just in the verticals we're, we're selling into. So I do see this, the distributed industrial water market as the, the fastest growing opportunity in the water industry. And one of the biggest opportunities for positive impact when it comes to, comes to the environment. Would you give me a hint into the new vertical you're you're after, or is that still secret? Well, we can um, apply. Uh, it's not really secret, but you know, if you just think about it, we can apply our technology to anything that has organic content in the effluent. So, um, beyond food, beverage, resorts, residences, which 
itself is, is there's a lot of need there. There's uh, pharmaceutical, there's biofuels, there's oil and gas. You know, there's there's um, while it's it's a polluting industry, if oil and gas was able to decrease it, it decarbonize to the greatest extent possible in its processing, and then was able to do carbon capture and, and offset, you know, some of the carbon generated, like it, the industry might might start to move the needle. Um, so so those are other those are all areas where we are excited about. Um, helping and and getting involved in and and contributing our technology. And you mentioned that most of your references are in North America, but where are the other ones? We have a plant in Mexico and uh, a plant in Malaysia. Okay. Malaysia, I guess, is a good place if you want to move to the petrochemical part of of the industry, but... (laughs) Right, right. And uh, yeah, and and we're interested in... uh, expanding operations in Mexico, Latin America, and in, uh, in Asia and, and in developing countries. It's all, it's all in the plan. Um, we've got a lot to do right now with, with where we are, but we're excited to grow as a company into, into new geographies. And in many ways, countries that have less developed infrastructure is where we can have the most impact. As, so that'll be a, a great opportunity going forward. Maybe just to wrap this part up for today, I'd like to have one question as a teaser for, for our follow-up discussion. We've addressed the water side of things. So uh, water gets cleaned through the system, which is grid neutral, if not grid positive. But water is only one of the products that you're, you're producing through the system. There's also whether electricity or, or methane. How important is this second aspect of the treatment? And, uh, and can you just tease us your WEPA agreements before we dig into the matter a bit more next time. Sure. Yeah. It, uh, the amount of energy we produce is going to be a function of, you know, what's sent to us in the concentration of the wastewater. So we're, you know, we can be net positive, neutral or, or, or net negative, but still much more energy efficient than other systems. And it ends up, you know, you, you wouldn't install one of our systems just to create the energy you need a driver that has to do with the water side. So either, you know, the need for clean water or the need for treatment. But once you have those needs, the energy component ends up having a significant comparative impact on the life cycle cost. And so, you know, it can be, it can, it can make the overall operations significantly cheaper for a range of reasons. There's the, um, you know, we're, we're avoiding energy use. We're, we're generating some power and, uh, um, there's also a good amount of incentives for renewable energy generation that we can that we can leverage in the installations. And to move to your question about the WEPA, that you know, putting together the water energy purchase agreement was basically a way for us to introduce to our customers all of these benefits with a much simpler offering of you know charging per gallon sent to them or per kilowatt hour that we send, so that they're buying water and energy in the same way that they would buy it from their utility. Only it's being produced by a renewable on-site utility in the form of our systems, and we'll be responsible for all aspects of construction, installation, commissioning, operation, and they only have to pay for what they get. So they get the clean energy at the price that they want, and they get the clean water at the price, you know, that we've agreed to. And typically, that's a, a pretty significant savings to their current costs, and they're not responsible for any of the rest. So it's a way of, uh, you know, the way I've put it in the past doing for the distributed water industry, what the power purchase agreement did for the solar industry with the rise of, you know, companies like 
Sun, Sun Edison, Sun Run, and all of that. Um, those had a big impact. And, and part of it was that people were used to buying electricity from utilities, but not used to buying solar panels and installing them and operating them. And I don't think a lot of the customers that buy PPAs want to be um, doing all of that. So I think we're excited about the water energy purchase agreement as a somewhat of a disruptive approach to the distributed water market and one which really benefits customers, creates stability in pricing, simplifies their their life. They can focus on manufacturing, whatever they're manufacturing, and we help them uh, solve their, their water problems. Let's put that on ice. Don't give everything away because we have much more to dig into next time. If that's fine with you, I propose you to switch to the rapid fire questions. Sure. It's time for the rapid fire questions. For the rapid fire questions, the rule is simple. I try to keep the question short and um, you can try to keep the answer short. Of course, if there's more to say, I'm not cutting the microphone. The first question would be, what is the most exciting project you've been working on and why? Well, uh, I'm really excited about a project we have going that's going to be in the heart of a U.S. city doing treatment and reuse to drinking water quality over 20 years um, that we're going to be announcing pretty soon. Did we just unveil your new vertical? No, sorry, I'm not, I'm not insisting <laughs> on that one. <laughs> What's your favorite part of your current job? Uh, creating something that's meaningful and will have a positive impact on the world. What is the trend to watch out in the water industry? I think it's the infrastructure as a service model that's going to have a big impact. What is the thing you care the most when you're working on a new project? Making the customers happy. And what is the one you care the least? Um, sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what do I care the least about? I care about everything. Well, sleep is uh, its the first time someone gets me the, the answer. So it's an interesting <laughs> one. <laughs> I should care more about it. Do you have sources to recommend to keep up with uh, the water and wastewater market trends? Uh, well, you know, GWI is a great is a great publication. And surprisingly, everybody answers that. <laughs> I bet. I bet. They're doing a good job. They're killing it. Yeah, they're really good. <laughs> and finally, would you have someone to recommend that we should definitely invite as soon as possible? Um, that is a good question. Um, I would say Cody Friesen, Zero Mass Water, if you haven't talked to him already. I haven't. So Yeah, talk to him. It's cool. Good. Then... Matt, I have to thank you for your, your time. It was a very interesting discussion for me. I hope it was for everybody, but I'm sure it, it was. We will have, as, as teased in that episode, uh, a follow-up discussion about your, your WIPA agreements, your, the business side of your, of your company. And I think there's still much to uncover. I had many more questions that I had to... I mean, I'm cautious of your time. Thanks a lot for being with us today. And um, yeah, let's talk very soon. Well, listen, I... Uh... I really appreciate it, Antoine, and thank you for the opportunity to talk about Cambrian and for what you're doing. It's, uh, it's great to have someone focusing on the water industry. Thanks a lot. All right. <laughs> have a great day. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.